sex ed enthusiasts. Thanks for joining me again for another week of your most asked questions and the information you want to hear about. Again, I am your host, Meredith, and every week I talk about sex ed topics, discussions, research, and history, and I highlight the information you probably weren't provided in your sex ed courses. Basically, if you have a sex-related question, I'm here to answer it, or at least try to answer it. First, before we get into today's episode, I just really want to thank you guys for, you know, continuing to listen to this podcast. I know I say this every week, but I really do appreciate it. I'm trying to dedicate more time to this passion project so that way it becomes bigger than, you know, my nine to five. So again, thank you so much and sorry for, you know, not putting this episode out. Um, I'm a little bit behind. I figured, you know, with the holidays and the end of my semester, I'll just take a week break or two week break. So, you know, happy holidays, whatever holidays you celebrate, you and your family. Um, you know, I hope it was a great time. And now that we're past the new year, um, let's keep learning. Honestly, like there's this whole thing about like new year, new me, but fuck that. Be you. You know, if you want to make, if you have some points of improvement, you know, that's great. But don't feel like you need to take on this whole new personality and aesthetic you know just because you know TikTok and Instagram and like just like the pressures of what having the new year brings like what we are told forget that if you don't want to make any changes and you feel good do that if you know there's a big pressure to like get into gyms and like feel good and all this stuff but do whatever you think is going to make you feel good fuck what everyone else says honestly um, for myself, uh, I do actually want to get back in the gym, but I kind of fallen off on my routine in the last couple months. So I don't know how that's going to happen yet. Um, I feel like I've gained a little bit of relationship weight. So, uh, just want to feel good, you know, like it's not even like I want my body to be like all ripped cause that's never been me. I just want to feel good in my skin and I have been eating a lot of junk food lately, honestly, so it's really just making more positive choices for myself um, that make my body feel better, so drinking more water and stay, just staying hydrated with, like, electrolytes because I notice, like, I'll drink water and then I just feel my blood sugar crashing at the end of the day, so anyways, I'm kind of going off on a tangent, um, but it's been a good past couple weeks, you know, I celebrated Christmas with my family um, and then went to Baltimore for New Year's uh, to see my boyfriend and meet his family. So that was fun, uh, but I'm not going to get into too many details about that. The holidays are a weird time for me, honestly. I feel like I've always over romanticized Christmas or like it was so good when I was a child and then, you know, family gets crazy and shit hits the fan and I'm just not really a fan of it anymore and I don't feel like the holidays are as enjoyable as they used to be. Um, so, and I know I'm not alone in this. So, if you had a hard holiday season, I'm sorry and I empathize with you. Um, I was in the same boat, although it was, I mean, I had a good time with my family. It wasn't terrible, but I think the leading up to it is always like, gives me a lot of anxiety. So, um, just being honest here on the podcast, what I try to do. Um, but let's get into today's topic. So today we are continuing our discussion about STDs or STIs. And more specifically, we're talking about the bacterial baddies that are running rampant in our communities. 
We're going to be talking about the symptoms, testing, and treatment of chlamydia, gonorrhea, microplasma, genitalium, and syphilis. I'm going to, I'm going over this honestly because um, the CDC, their 2021 preliminary data reported that there were 2.5 million, 2.5 million cases of chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, and congenital syphilis during the second year of COVID, all of which have been increasing over the last five years. So it wasn't just because of COVID that this increase happened, but it has been a general trend the last five years. And so where does that leave us? Why is this trend going up? What is happening to health education? Well, it's barely fucking happening, let's be honest. So that's where this podcast comes in. Um, and it's it's really, this is crazy, these numbers, when I read this and when I've been doing research for my classes um, and I read these numbers, it's, it's scary. Um, and it's crazy because I know that the STDs that I'm going to be talking about today are curable. So now it just comes down to the discussion of testing and prevention in order to get these numbers down locally and nationally. I mean, not all STDs are curable, but bacterial ones are pretty much curable. I've got a good amount of information to share with you guys today, so I'm going to jump right into it. We're going to start with chlamydia. So that is our first STD we are hitting on in this series. Um, Chlamydia, which is also apparently called um, gooey stuff, and the clam not I've never I've just called it chlamydia uh, I did not know there were names like this I this very interesting google search that I did um but like I said it's a bacterial infection and it is one of the most popular of our cooties in 2020 a little over 1.5 million cases of chlamydia causing bacterial infections were reported to the CDC making it the most common notifiable STI in the United States for that year And not surprising, um, rates of reported chlamydia are at the highest among adolescents and young adults, um, resulting in two-thirds, or about 61% of all cases reported, being in the um, demographic of 15 to 24 years old. And if you remember my last episode on the basics of STDs, it's not that shocking. I mean, it's really ridiculous to see these numbers, and it does put me back, but we know from the last episode that you know, adolescents and young adults engage in risky behavior and a lot of other things that make them at more risk for contracting STDs. And so the most common one is chlamydia. So how do you get chlamydia? Um, Chlamydia is usually spread by sexual content contact. That's why it's an STI or an STD um, with somebody else who has the infection. It's pretty simple. Um, It can happen even if no one comes. Uh, So I think that's important to note because there are myths out there about STDs that you can't get them unless, you know, the person you're with climaxes. Um, And that's just not true. You know, the main ways people get chlamydia are having vaginal sex and anal sex, but it also can be spread through oral sex. Um, All sex is sex, including oral sex. Um, Rarely... Um, you can get chlamydia by touching your eye if you have the infected fluids on your hand. Um, it can be spread. It's another one of those that can be spread from baby to mother during birth if the mom has it. But let me be clear. Chlamydia isn't spread. It is not spread through casual contact, 
So you can't get it. You cannot get it from sharing food or drinks, kissing, hugging, holding hands, coughing, sneezing, or sitting on a toilet. Again, that kind of comes back to some STD myths that people think that certain things like because I'm think maybe that myth comes because the their private parts are sitting on the toilet seat, but like you're, it's just like your private parts aren't even touching the seat. Like it's just your thigh fat and your butt fat on there, and like that, the the infection doesn't spread to that skin. I don't know. Anyways, I just want to make it clear: it is not spread through casual casual contact. Um. Using condoms or dental dams every time you have sex is the best way to prevent chlamydia. And that is just really not just chlamydia, all STDs. Um, So what are the symptoms? Remember from the last episode, most don't have any. And chlamydia is like that. Chlamydia often has no symptoms, but it can cause serious health problems even without symptoms. So if they do occur... They might not appear until several weeks after having sex with a partner who has chlamydia. Even if there's no symptoms, this can cause serious damage to female reproductive systems. So, regular testing, this is where it's important. If you were to have symptoms as a woman or a person with, uh, with female genitalia, you might notice abnormal vaginal discharge and burning sensation while peeing. So UTIs can be very common for women. Uh, so just really keeping notice when those things happen. Is there discharge with it? Is it just the, you know, a UTI symptoms? Be in contact with your doctor. You know, just try to be aware of your body. For men, if you are having symptoms such as discharge from the penis, burning sensation while you pee, and then also like pain and swelling in one or both testicles, although that's less common. These are potential symptoms, but most likely you're not going to get symptoms. So regular testing, no matter what, is pretty much what's recommended. And like as guys, I mean, I haven't done my male reproductive episode yet, but like do you guys, when females we discharge a lot like that's just a regular thing which I'm going to do another episode on that too like we have a self-cleaning machine like what happens with yours like you guys don't discharge isn't a normal thing for you guys so I feel like if in at any sign of that shit like go see your doctor immediately because I'm pretty sure that doesn't happen but I could be wrong I'll have to fact check myself um you can get chlamydia in your butthole in your rectum just so you know like so if you got you know, rectal pain or discharge and bleeding from your booty hole, for sure go see a doctor. Go to the ER. I mean, it's... If you ever have, like, bleeding or things coming from your butt you are not sure of, go see a doctor. You know, that's just not normal. But also, maybe you don't see any symptoms on yourself. But if you're having some freaky time with your partner and you notice while you're down there you know, an unusual sore or smelly discharge or they've taught, they've like told you like they've had some burning while they pee or like they're female, they have bleeding between their periods, you know, maybe have a discussion with your partner of like, hey, I learned this really cool thing or I learned these things on the Sex Ed Enthusiast podcast that these are potential symptoms and maybe we should go get tested together. Um, and just air with caution Our sexual health is very personal. People get offended very quickly, so approach it lightly but seriously because if you are engaging in sex with someone who might have symptoms, 
you have to look out for yourself too. So maybe also go speak to your own doctor separately. So what does testing look like for chlamydia? Usually it's just a urine sample that's pretty easy, cheap, um, but they might ask you or they might they might do it or they might ask you to do it, a cotton swab um, in the vagina. Um, it doesn't say whether or not they cotton swab the penis. They would have to really insert it in there and that sounds very uncomfortable. So I think they'd likely do the urine sample for men, but most likely a urine sample. So then what's the treatment? Let's say you get tested, it comes back positive. You're going to get an antibiotic. You're, that's pretty much it. That's why it's curable is it's a bacterial infection. You take an antibiotic and as long as you, you know, finish it, you should be good. Um, again, if you don't get treated, like let's say you get tested and then you don't go get your treatment, you're going to cause serious health problems. Like it's going to happen. So you really need to take care of your body um, and take that diagnosis serious. It's not, it's very unlikely it's going to be a false positive. Take the extra precautions, take the medicine. It's just an antibiotic. You've probably already taken this antibiotic for something else. So be on top of your health. Now, another point is, let's say you get diagnosed, when can you have sex again? You should not have sex again until you and your partner have completed your treatment, for one. So, have some self-restraint. Do not engage in any hanky-panky, all right? If given, you know, sometimes chlamydia, you can get a single dose, um, and sometimes you get like a 10-day dose. Uh, but regardless, make sure for the single dose, you know, still wait seven days after taking your medicine, after taking your medicine before you start having sex. Let your body work all the ooey gooey shit out and then you can engage and play. Um, if you're given the medicine that takes seven days, you know, again, wait till you finish all the doses before having sex. Just be patient. It's gonna, it's gonna do you so much better if you're patient. Um, and you don't want to like continue the spread. You don't want to give it back to yourself. You don't want to give it to your partner, their partners, whatever it is, you know, focus on your health, get yourself better. Um, and it's curable. So it's really not the end of the world. It sucks in the moment. Sure. It's a little embarrassing. Yeah, but it's curable. Next on our list is gonorrhea, which is also referred to as the dose, the clap and the drip. All exclusive, though. Um, and again, it's another very bacterial, um, very common bacterial infection. A lot of times people think that chlamydia is called the clap. Um, I guess C and C, but gonorrhea is what's called the clap. I didn't really look in the history of that. Now I'm curious. Why do people call it the clap? Anyways, gonorrhea often has no symptoms. Going to be a broken record on this one. Um, and it also can cause serious health problems. Um, even without symptoms. Most women with gonorrhea do not have any symptoms. Um, and even if they do, they're usually mild and can be mistaken for bladder or vaginal infections. So if you're a woman, um, if you have female genitalia, um, if you're assigned female at birth, you might, if you have symptoms, you probably actually won't have any, but if you do, it's likely going to be painful or burning sensation while peeing increased vaginal discharge, and um, vaginal bleeding between periods. Pretty much the same thing as chlamydia. Any of these symptoms, go see a doctor, please. 
don't be a part of the problem. Be a part of the solution. It's okay if it happens. Just let's just work towards getting you healthy. If you're a man and you happen to have symptoms, it might look like burning sensation while you pee and a white, yellow, or green discharge from the penis. Ugh. Yeah, my, that was gross, even reading that again. Like, I knew this fact, but when I went and I'm, like, reading my notes again, I'm like, ooh. Like, very descriptive. The chlamydia, they're just like, discharge from the venus. Gonorrhea, they're like, no, no, no. White, yellow, or green. Ugh. Anyways, you also, again, could have painful or swollen testicles, but it is less common. Um, again, any of these symptoms, go see your doctor, please. Go to a Planned Parenthood. Go to a, a neighborhood clinic. Go to the health department. Wherever. Now, you can get gonorrhea in your booty hole also. Um, they usually cause no symptoms. But both men and women could experience discharge, anal itching, soreness, bleeding, and powerful... Sorry, not powerful. <laughs> I just misread my notes there. Um, not painful bowel movements. Not powerful bowel movements. <laughs> painful bowel movements so again if your booty hole is hurting and shit is coming out of it that is not shit go see a doctor um let's say you have symptoms or you don't what does it look like for testing so most of the time a healthcare provider will use a urine sample to diagnose gonorrhea however if you've had oral or anal sex um your provider may use swabs to collect samples from your throat or your rectum in some cases, a provider may also swab and collect samples from a man's urethra, you know, the, the hole where he pees out of, um, or a woman's cervix, which is that opening to the uterus. So, most common, it is going to be a urine sample if you are just having symptoms or you are unsure in your genital area, but if you're having symptoms or just things weird things are going on in your throat and your booty hole, then they're going to do a swab um, just because that's the best way to test those areas. So again, let's say you get a positive gonorrhea test. What does treatment look like? Well, it's curable, so they... Let's say the health department calls and you're like, yes, it's positive. You're going to take a deep breath and remind yourself that Meredith told you that this is curable. They're going to tell you to get antibiotics. They're going to prescribe you antibiotics, okay? Because, again, if you don't take them, it's going to cause serious health problems. Um, you must take all of them that you are, you know, provided to cure the infection. Do not share your medicine for gonorrhea with anyone. Although the medicine will stop the infection, it will not undo any permanent damage caused by the disease. So if you go without getting treated, the antibiotic doesn't prevent the damage that is getting done. It stops it it stops the virus or the bacteria from continuing any damage. So the quicker you suspect something, go get tested. Now, I have to note that it is becoming a lot harder to treat gonorrhea. Um, germs, to sum up, you know, viruses, bacteria, parasites, all that shit, to sum it all up, like, they're getting smarter. Um, we've seen this with uh, COVID, having multiple variants, and, and the flu every year is a different variant. So, the same thing is happening with gonorrhea. Um, there is drug-resistant strains of gonorrhea that are increasing, and pretty much gonorrhea is trying to, like, outsmart us. Um, gonorrhea is one of the most and the second most common STI out there, uh, and it causes 
this infection to get smarter. Like they're trying to evolve just like we evolve. Um, and so that means that there are certain strains that are good at avoiding antibiotics. So if your symptoms continue a few days after receiving treatment, go back to your provider. Um, so that way they can put you on a different regimen. So that's really important. A lot of times on antibiotics, and this is kind of just like a medicine thing in general, like you start taking whatever medicine the doctor prescribes to you and a couple days later, like, oh, I feel fine. And then like you stop taking it. It's like, no, 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 no. You're supposed to finish it all the way out because the point of the medicine is it, it is going to stop your symptoms, but it doesn't mean you're cured in two days. So really make sure that you are taking all of the medicine provided, but specifically for gonorrhea, if you're given an antibiotic and two, three days after you still have these symptoms, call your provider, let them know because they might need to switch the type of antibiotic you're on um, in order to get that strain of gonorrhea to chill the fuck out and kill it. So be again, be very aware of your body and the things that you're experiencing. So let's say, you know, you tested positive, got your treatment, when can you have sex again? So just like chlamydia, wait seven days after finishing your medicine. Um, you know, you and your partner should be avoiding having sex until you have all completed your treatment and all the symptoms are gone. So again, like if you still have symptoms while you're getting that treatment, then you need a new treatment so that you still don't be having sex. Um, this will help prevent you and your partner from giving and getting gonorrhea again. And those with gonorrhea should be retested about three months after treatment of the inf inf initial infection, um, even if their partners received successful treatment. It's just a rule of thumb that the CDC follows and has practitioners follow. And a part of that has to do with the drug strain, uh, the drug resistant strains of gonorrhea. So it doesn't hurt to go get retested after your initial infection, even if you're not showing any symptoms, just to make sure. Because again, most of the time you don't have symptoms. So let's just all be safe out there. All right, next up on our bacterial baddies list we are covering today is called Mycoplasma. No, I keep saying micro. That's fucking wrong. Mycoplasma genitalium. So I'm just going to refer to it as MGEM. I honestly did not hear about this STI until this year. So I thought it was a new STI, but it turns out it really isn't. Um, it's been around or it's been known about for a long time. So, but it's just definitely not talked about. After doing my research, I think I know why. I mean, the symptoms and the treatment and the testing is honestly nothing exciting, nothing interesting or out of the ordinary. Um, I mean, literally the CDC's page was a fucking snooze fest compared to others, but it's still important nonetheless. Um... Again, it's a bacterial infection, and Imgen can infect the cervix, the inside of the penis, or the rectum. You can get it by having vaginal anal sex without a condom with someone who has the infection. Duh. Um, but researchers are still determining whether sex partners can spread it through oral sex. So that's a weird thing. It's like, we've known about this shit, but we don't know about it. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Um... Again, I thought this was a newer STI because I was like looking at this thing. Uh, it's called Giant Microbes. I love this website. I haven't bought anything from them yet, but they have like these plush STI toys that I wanted to get for this episode for like the video podcast to like show them and did not pull the plug on that price. I'm kind of just hoping somebody else buys it for me. Um, but I was like, 
looking up STIs they have, and they had this one that looks like a fucking ping pong paddle, and that's MGM. That's what the bacteria looks like. It looks like a ping pong paddle. Honest to God, look it up. That's what it looks like. Honest to God. I'm not fucking religious. I don't know why I said that. Anyways, so what do symptoms look like? Shocker, you probably aren't going to have symptoms. But if you do have symptoms, we're looking for vaginal discharge, burning sensation while peeing, and discharge from the penis. So that's really all the CDC had for me. This well-known quote, STD is clearly not that well-known. Or again, it's just so basic. I mean, take what you know about chlamydia and gonorrhea and the same thing is likely going to happen for this one. Uh, just keep an eye out on your body. Keep notes of how you're feeling and any new shit that you see. So what does testing look like? Um, urine sample, really. Uh, maybe a swab, a cotton swab on from the vagina or the cervix if you're a female. Um, it just, again, not that interesting. What does treatment look like? Well... There is treatment, there are antibiotics that can cure MGM, but you must take all of it, just like the other ones. Don't share your medicine for MGM with anybody. And again, you know, partners, if you suspect you have one, make sure your partners are aware, have them get tested. Supposedly, not supposedly, the CDC does warn that it just like gonorrhea, it is getting harder to treat some MGM uh, infections as there are drug resistant strains increasing. Um, same as gonorrhea, if your symptoms do not subside after a couple days of taking the treatment, get a hold of your provider, have further conversations about changing antibiotics. So um, that's really all I have for it. Mycoplasma genitalium MGM. She ain't anything special, let me tell you. Last, but certainly not least, is one that is unfortunately on the rise here in Arizona, as well as other parts of the country. So, drum roll, please. Oh, that was such a shitty drum roll. Um, we're talking about syphilis. Oh yeah, syphilis has entered stage right. Um, syphilis is actually one of the oldest documented STIs, dating all the way back to the 15th century in Europe. So at that time, syphilis was called the, quote, great pox. Um, and based on writings and artworks from that time, it appears that it had been more a more severe illness than it, what it is today. Um, the disease seemed to have killed its victims more quickly back then and also spread way faster. Um, and that could have just been chalked up to, you know, people not having immunity to it yet. Um, so keep that a note. I mean, I actually have a lot to share with you guys about syphilis and I'm not even going into depth compared to what other people do. Um, so the first documentation of this STD is in Europe in the 1400s. But if you also know your world history, you know that that is the time of, quote, exploring the new world and when colonialism took over. So amongst all the other diseases Europeans spread worldwide, syphilis was one of them. So fucking Europeans. Just, it never fails. Like, Columbus sailed the ocean sea, whatever the fuck that song is. Like, ugh. I mean, I know, like, there were, there were even worse diseases that were brought over, but I'm just saying, like, 
fucking sex enthusiasts themselves, not even sex ed enthusiasts, sex enthusiasts in Europe are like, let's go conquer the world. And we don't really need to do any genocide because of the diseases we bring are going to do it for us. Like, just gets me so, just grinds my gears. Now let's fast forward 400 years. So 1905, Fritz Richard Schauden, I don't know if I'm not pronouncing this right. It was a German zoologist in Eric Hoffman, um, a dermatologist, discovered the cause of syphilis. So it took a while. And that was from the bacterium called uh, Tryponema pallidum. Like, I'm I'm not perfect, guys. I'm not going to get it right. It's not like you're going to remember that shit anyways. But anyways, it took 400 years to figure out the specific thing that is causing, like the bacteria that's causing syphilis. Isn't that nuts? Then it took another 23 years in 1928 when Alexander Fleming, a London scientist, discovered penicillin. Penicillin. Fuck. Wow. This podcast, is, this episode is so hard to record. I don't know why I'm messing up all my words. Alex, Alexander Fleming discovered penicillin. Gosh, damn. Finally, 15 years after that, in 1943, three doctors working in the U.S. Marine Hospital on Staten Island in New York um, first treated and cured four patients with syphilis by giving them penicillin. To this day, penicillin remains the cure for syphilis. If you did not know that. That's why it's also important to, like, tell your doctor if you have, like, a penicillin allergy. Because that's going to be important if you get syphilis. Penicillin solves a lot of things, but... It's important for this one. But isn't that just nuts? Like, the first documentation, which means it could have been around way longer, was in the 1400s, the 15th century. It took another 400 years to discover the specific bacteria that causes it. And then it took another 15 years for treatment. From 1905 to 1928, they're like, oh, we should, you know that thing that they discovered, penicillin? I don't know, like, maybe we should just, like, start giving it to people and see if that, like, cures their ailments. Finally, right? Isn't that just nuts? But what's even crazier about syphilis? And, like, I can't, I can't talk about syphilis without mentioning also the injustices that have happened here in the United States related to it. So, like, fuck the 1500s or the 1400 Europeans, but, like, the United States has not done any better in our most recent history. Um, and what I'm specifically talking about is the Tuskegee study. Not to be confused with the Tuskegee Airmen. This is a separate thing. I'm talking about the Tuskegee study. And I'm just going to give you a brief overview. So, you know, if it's something you'd like in more detail, I would highly recommend Googling it. But there's also a few podcasts that have already gone into significant detail about what has happened in regards to this study. Um, and there's also a movie about it, too, which is something I've had to watch for a lot of my public health classes. It's a great movie. Uh, I would definitely recommend it. So just Google Tuskegee study um, and it will come up. So what is it? The If you don't know, the Tuskegee study initially involved 600 black men, 399 had syphilis, 201 who did not have the disease. Now, the issue is that participants did not have informed consent, which is when a person fully understands the process, the benefits, the risks, and the possible consequences for participating in a study. So 399 had syphilis, 201 did not. 
They didn't know that, though. The researchers told the men that they were being treated for, quote, bad blood, which was a local term used to describe several ailments, including syphilis, anemia, anemia, and fatigue. So in exchange for participating in the study, the men received free medical care, um, such as exams, uh, meals, and burial insurance. Now, the fucked up part about this study it's not funny. The fucked up part about the study started in 1930, that is that it started in 1932, and it went on until 1972. 40 years. And if you remember that I just stated that they, when did they come up with the cure? Penicillin. When was that discovered? 1943. So the doctors in the study knew of the cure and still proceeded to withhold treatment from people who were infected. Like, it's just, I don't know, it goes back to a lot of deeply rooted racism and discrimination and just so much fucked up mistreatment from, you know, white doctors and minority people. Like, oh, it's just so fucking frustrating. Um, So the doctors knew of the cure and still proceeded to withhold treatment for 30 years. Like, 10 years after they started the study, the treatment became available. They withheld it for another 30 years. The study, another crazy thing, the study didn't even stop until the, a whistleblower from an Associated Press published the story about the study and what was happening in Alabama. Um, isn't that nuts? Like, they were going to continue this study until a whistleblower published a story saying, there's some wrongdoing. People are not okay. Um... Again, I would highly recommend like following some other podcasts to get the full history on it. But it started with, you know, it started with 600 people. But when you follow a study for 40 years, we're talking about multiple generations of people who become infected with syphilis, who are dying of syphilis. Babies are being born of syphilis. Like it was just a mess. And it, the U.S. government didn't even apologize for this incident until I think Clinton did it in the 90s and just again grinds my gears and I didn't mean to go in such a historical context for this STI I mean honestly prior to writing this episode I was thinking about doing a separate episode on the history of STIs but my initial research really wasn't coming up with much we know a lot about syphilis and HIV, but when it comes to the rest of them, there really is no historical evidence. They've just kind of appeared and stayed contagious in our communities. But anyways, let's get back um, to the facts about syphilis. So, symptoms. Syphilis has four stages, primary, secondary, latent, and tertiary. Each stage has very different signs and symptoms. So, for the primary stage... During the first primary stage of syphilis, you may notice a single sore or multiple sores. The sore uh, is the location where syphilis entered your body. These sores usually occur in, on, or around the penis, vagina, anus, rectum, and lips or in the mouth. So that first or few, the first noticeable sores are going to happen where that infection entered your body. Sores are usually, but not always, firm, round, and painless. Because the sores are painless, you may not notice it. 
The sore usually lasts three to six weeks and heals regardless of whether you receive treatment. So even after the sore goes away, you might, you should still receive treatment. If you had a sore and you're like, well, it was just there two days ago. Now it's fucking gone. Like, go talk to your doctor. This will stop the infection from moving into the secondary stage. So the secondary stage is when you might have um, a skin rash and or sores in your mouth, vagina, or anus. This stage usually starts with a rash on one or more areas of your body. And that rash can show up when your primary sore is healing or several weeks after your sore has healed. The rash can be on the palms of your hands or on the bottoms of your feet. And they look rough, red, and like reddish brown. Pretty like standard of what do you think a rash looks like. Now, the thing is, the rash won't itch. Sometimes it's so faint you won't notice it. So, other symptoms you might have uh, might be a fever, swollen lymph node glands, sore throat, patchy hair loss, headaches, weight loss, muscle aches, and fatigue. So, feeling very tired. The symptoms of this stage will go away whether you receive treatment. So, without the right treatment, your infection will move into the latent and possibly tertiary stages of syphilis where it's not going to get any better. Okay, so let's say you saw a sore, didn't get tested. Saw a sore, got a rash, still didn't get tested, still didn't get treatment. Now you're moving. I mean, and this happens for a long time. This isn't like over a six-month period. So now you're going to move into a latent stage. The latent stage of syphilis is a period when there are no visible signs or symptoms. And without treatment, it can continue to have syphilis in your body for years. So that's where syphilis kind of, in a way, and I'm going to talk about this with another guest that I'm going to have on the show, syphilis kind of runs parallel to HIV and that like it's a bacterial infection, but the way that it can kind of like work so smart in your body and the way that it can kind of come and go and its symptoms, um, it very much mirrors the virus for HIV. Um, so the latent stage, this could be years down the line, even the rash, it could happen. It won't happen. It doesn't always happen immediately. You could have a sore and then years later you have a rash. Like it just really depends on the person. So let's say you're in the latent stage, you have no symptoms now and you move into the tertiary stage. That's when most people with untreated syphilis I'm sorry. Most people with untreated syphilis do not develop tertiary syphilis. However, when it does happen, it can affect many different organ systems. So people, I'm hoping, you know, the the reason that the CDC stated that part was like people are getting treated, um, even though syphilis and congenital syphilis is on the rise, um, people are kind of staying off. So you, you don't, in this day and age, people don't always get to the tertiary stage, but you should still know what that looks like. So... It affects different organ systems now because this has been deep in your body for years. So this includes your heart and blood vessels, the brain and nervous system. The tertiary syphilis is very serious. And again, it can occur 10 to 30 years after your infection began. In this stage, the disease damages your internal organs and can result in death. A healthcare provider can usually diagnose it with the help of multiple tests. Um, But... I mean, you're really far into it at this point. doesn't mean there's no hope, but it has been in your body for so long that now it is affecting the other systems. It's not just your reproductive organs. Some things that happen 
when you are in tertiary uh, syphilis. It could be neurosyphilis, ocular syphilis, and otosyphilis. So without treatment, syphilis can spread to the brain and nervous system, which is called neurosyphilis, the eye, which is ocular syphilis, or the ear, which is otosyphilis. Uh, and honestly, this can happen in any of the stages. It's uh, just most commonly connected with the final stage. The symptoms can include for neurosyphilis, so again, the nervous system and a brain, you could have severe headaches, muscle weakness, or trouble with muscle movements, and you could have changes with your mental state, so trouble focusing, confusion, personality change, and or dementia, so problems with your memory, thinking, and decision making. Symptoms for ocular syphilis include eye pain or redness, and even changes to your vision, possibly blindness. And signs and symptoms of otosyphilis include hearing loss, ringing, buzzing, roaring, or hissing in the ears, which is also referred to as tinnitus, and uh, dizziness and vertigo. So that feels like, you know, your surroundings are moving and spinning. So all this scary stuff, right? I like complained about scare tactics in my last episode, and it kind of sounds like I'm just like giving you scare tactics. I'm just giving you facts, and it is scary. So you shouldn't let it get to this point. So let's say you suspect symptoms. What does testing look like? Um, most of the time for syphilis, it's a blood test. It's not, it's a bacterial infection, but it does not present itself in the same way that gonorrhea does and chlamydia and MGM does. So they're going to do a blood test. Uh, and then they will, sometimes if you have an active sore, they can, they can tell by draining some of the fluid from that sore. Uh, but it's not always definitive. So a blood test is the most accurate. If you test positive, um, syphilis is curable with the right antibiotics, again, penicillin, but you got to make sure, you know, as soon as you think you might have been infected to, you know, engage in the process of getting tested and treated because once damages have started because of the infection, treatment is not going to undo it. And I've, you know, I've said that before. So just keep in mind that the quicker that you think you've been exposed uh, the quicker you can get treated and the quicker you can be at peace of mind and the healthier you can keep your body. So what do we learn today? Some of our favorite, and I mean most common STIs, are bacterial baddies. So chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, and mycoplasma genitalium. And for all of today's STDs, it is more likely that you're not going to have any symptoms at all. So it's very important for you to get regular testing even if you don't think that you've been exposed once a year is great. If you think you have, do it more than that. Um, and again, if you are having fun with your partner and notice an unusual sore, maybe some smelly discharge, or they disclose to you that they've been having some burning while peeing or bleeding between their periods, then you should probably go get tested just to be on the safe side. Obviously, like maybe go talk to your partner about it too. But if you don't feel like that, you're in that space, you have to have that discussion, go go get tested. Put yourself first. This is your body. You have to live in it. Now for testing for gonorrhea, chlamydia, and MGM, it's easy and it's simple. And it's either urine sample or it's swabbing of the affected areas. And for syphilis, it's a blood test. So that means that you might need to ask for it. It's not always something that a provider is going to do. So... 
when you go into Planned Parenthood or the health department or wherever you're going, um, ask them, you know, they might say, oh, we do an STI panel. Ask them what's on that panel. Um, and if you think that, you know, if you want that blood test, advocate for yourself because it's annoying and it kind of hurts getting blood taken, but wouldn't you rather know that you're safe? Now for treatment, all of today's STIs are curable and with antibiotics. Specifically for syphilis, the treatment is penicillin. And the biggest takeaway for treatment is to be strict about it. I mean, follow what your provider tells you to do. Take all the fucking medicine the way it was intended. Don't try to save some as a just-in-case thing, okay? If you feel like you need to save some for a just-in-case thing, we might need to be reevaluating your sexual health behaviors, okay? Because if you think you're putting yourself at risk that much, let's talk about it. Or your partner's putting you at risk that much, again, let's talk about it. Maybe that's not a good relationship for you. Just put it out there, don't kill the messenger. You should also avoid having sex until you've finished your treatment and are no longer having symptoms. Symptoms equals no sex. Empty bottle equals sex. Finish that antibiotic, whatever it is, and give some time. But again, I don't have a fucking medical degree, so please have these conversations with your provider. There's, I'm just here to give you the information and encourage you to make safe choices, um, And I just really want the best for all of you guys, you know, be aware of your bodies. You just, things change and also symptoms never happen. So just if you're engaging in sex with a new person, go get tested. Um, have that conversation. Just, just a point. I, I mean, I don't always follow my own advice, but you should be more smarter than me. Um, you know, as always, don't be afraid to ask questions and let me know other topics you'd like to hear here on Sex Ed Enthusiast. Um, you can find my show notes in the description of this episode. And if you enjoyed it, please make sure to tap the follow button and share it on your social media and let everybody know that they're missing out on some good content. And until next time, make good choices. Bye.